0: Weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't show signs of stopping, and I brought some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low. Let it
1: snow, let it snow, let it snow. Hello, and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, December 13th, 2020. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia, Janetessa Fox, and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Encore Magazine, Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Hi Good morning, also with us is Jenna Tessa Fox Jenna has been writing about theatre for many years in numerous publications including Playbill Magazine, Broadway World, Time Out, and HowlRound She's a voting member of the Drama Desk Awards and is a contributor to Broadway Radio Good morning, Jenna
2: Good morning, James, how are you doing?
1: Oh, very good. Thank you. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and SASTC founder and editor of com. He is a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. And with us, we have a very special guest. Thank goodness he made it. Norm Lewis is with us. <laughs> Norm. I, you know, I went through the uh, Broadway Radio archives here, and I- I'm not sure how this happens, and don't hate me for this, but you have been mentioned 113 times on Broadway Radio in the past 11 years, and we've never had you on. How did that happen?
0: I don't know. I mean, listen, you know, it's something that uh, it, it finally the great minds are combusting, <laughs> and finally they're meeting, you know? it's It's like the planets aligning or something. I don't know.
1: Well, I mean, I want to remind our listeners that uh, you probably know Norm because he was a heartthrob Keith McLean on All My Children. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we uh, want to talk to Norm today <laughs> uh, because you have this awesome thing happening on 54 Below, where 54 Below has transitioned as many of uh, the different um, venues have to streaming services. And you're going to bring us a rock and rollin' Uh, Concert starting on Thursday, December 17th, Eastern Time. We have to do time zones now. You know, 54 Below never had to do time zones before. But how is this whole thing adapting for you, Norm?
0: Well, I mean, you know, as we all are uh, adapting to this pandemic, I call it the pandemic, uh, it's it's crazy because you know as artists we need to fulfill that artistic side of ourselves and in the beginning you know this whole thing about getting on zoom and it felt so weird now it's a little bit more normal you know what i mean uh because it's the way that we communicate with each other and so um we were thinking i've been doing a show at 54 below now for the past five years so uh Christmas time is always my favorite time of year and I have a Christmas concert and so it's me and the Rockettes in New York City. (laughs) And um, we were going to miss it this year so we didn't know what we were going to do and we were thinking of all kinds of ways to try to figure this out and all of a sudden we got a phone call from Feinstein's 54 Below saying they're going to start this series and uh, start filming people and we wanted to see if uh, you would be interested and I said yeah. So uh, we got a great team together and we're doing a lot of the holiday songs that I have done on my Christmas C D, wink wink, nod nod, a shameless plug. Mm. And um we have it in vinyl we have it in vinyl and also on C D form and also you can stream it at whatever platforms you, you get your music. Anyway, that's that speech. Um but yeah, we're doing that and some new stuff and I have a uh, guests. I have my cousin Pastor Bobby Lewis coming to sing a duet with me, and I have Sierra Bogas, who's gonna come on and do a duet with me and it's just going to be a fun night. It's a, It's. Um, it feels weird because there's no live audience, but, but we've seamlessly put it together, and I think you'll really get a little bit of joy uh, at this time, especially because this year's been so crazy.
1: Norm, we've been uh, going back and forth, reading through the uh, the information, the press release about your concert. Wasn't really sure. Is it? pre-taped and showing starting december 17th or is it going to be live you can interact with the folks who are watching it
0: no it's already pre-taped we're in post-production right now the thing okay. about it okay. is that we're going to release it on the 17th uh, at eight o'clock but then you can stream it uh after that for uh, for two weeks until the uh, december 31st so you know it's a nice uh kind of You know, you can pick whatever time you want to sit down. You know, you can put it on whatever device. It's just, you can only see it on one device at a time, but you can, uh, put it on any time of day. If you want to look at it at 12 noon, if you want to look at it at 3 o'clock in the morning, you can, uh, after December 17th and, uh, you can send it as a gift, uh, like, you know, oh. sometimes there might be a last minute gift that you need and say, hey, I just bought you the Norm Lewis Christmas show. So, um, so, uh, yeah, we're, we're really excited about it. We, uh, you know, it's, it's been a joy to be doing this for five years in front of a great audience of people that keep coming back and new people that come from around the world. But now this is a chance for people to see it in Japan and, and in Europe. And, you know, so. Uh, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about this uh, this, this venture.
3: It's always nice when um, you find the people who have worked together in the past are working together again because it indicates that they liked each other and got along and have respect for each other because they were King Triton to <laughs> Sierra Burgess's. Ariel uh, way back when. So uh, as a result, it's really nice to see that you've kept in touch and um, you mean something to each other. I'm going to ask a question in a very oblique way, and that is the fact that uh, years ago, I talked to William Shallert, who used to play Patty Duke's father <laughs> on the TV show, The Patty Duke Show. Uh, he, was, he was head of SAG, and eventually she was head of SAG. And he said it was so amazing that I would say to her things like, now, Patty, here's what you have to do, because I was so used to being her father in the tv series i became her father in real life and i said to myself i've got to stop this she's a grown woman i can't do that since you were ariel's father uh <laughs> <laughs> was there anything like that uh do you have anything like that when you when you deal with sierra do you uh get very proprietary or uh now ariel here's what you have to do sierra here's what you have to do
0: yes actually <laughs> and you know what's interesting she calls me daddy when we is that right yeah, oh my does dad daddy yeah. So but the weird thing about it is that, you know, we've played uh we've played father and daughter. We've also played lovers. And you know, and Little I What was that? She was my obsession in the Phantom of the Opera. So, ah. so it's kind mm-hmm. of a weird dynamic, you know. Yes. So, yeah. So we discussed that actually in uh in the show. Really? <laughs> ah. Yeah, the Christmas show. Uh but yeah, we it's an interesting thing because she's my friend, obviously. But yeah, we uh the first time we met I'll give you a a, a really quick story. Um, I met her sister, Summer, who plays the cello and plays on Broadway in a lot of different shows. But I met her at a Seth Rudetsky event that I was doing. And she came up to me. She said, you're Norm Lewis. And I said, yes. Yeah. She said, you're going to play King Triton. My sister's going to be your mermaid, your daughter. And I said, oh, wow. And then a few weeks later, I fly out to Vegas uh, on a vacation to see her in the Phantom of the Opera uh, in Vegas. And we had not met, I just went to see the show and went backstage, and the first thing that she does, she runs to me, jumps in my arms, uh, and, and calls me Daddy. So, uh, so I'm Daddy forever to her.
3: Her
1: heart belongs to Daddy. To daddy. I mean, yeah. that's a whole different thing in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> but what, Vegas. but what, what happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas. I did not
4: realize she was your Christine, that's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So uh, I'm going to hit some of your things here. Phantom of the Opera you just mentioned. Miss Saigon. Who's Tommy? Chicago. Sideshow. Wild Party. Amour. Les Miserables. Little Mermaid. Sondheim on Sondheim. The Gershwins. Porgy and Bess. My Love Letter to Broadway. Once on this Island.
0: Norm, you are working it. Yeah. I've been blessed. I've been really, really, really blessed.
3: Yeah. Um, in terms of songtime on songtime, I found it very interesting that the song titles in the playbill and even on IBDB uh, do not tell us who sang which songs. Was there a reason for that that you know of?
0: I don't. I mean, that's, uh-huh. that is kind of strange. But I think our voices are distinctive enough that you can tell.
3: Oh yeah, no <laughs> question <know>. there. <laughs> but I'm just wondering if there was. They said to you, "All right, now here's the reason we're not going to put the names in the program. Who's singing the songs?"
0: No, that is weird. I, I don't know about that. I wish uh-huh. I knew that, that business side. But you know, but you know, come on, Barbara Cook. Listen, mm-hmm. you know, that that voice, and it was a such. a I joke. always
1: confuse the two of you. I know, right? <laughs>
0: You know, I, uh, I've all, all my life I've tried to sound like her, but, uh, the That's weird hilarious. thing about it is like, uh, there was a section in the show that, you know, she was 82 at the time. Wow. Wow. And, and I, we had this section where we were doing this, this scene from passion and I end up, I, I I'm yelling at Barbara Cook. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Like get out of my face, woman! You're you're ugly. I don't want you. You know you you're, you know. And I'm saying this to Barbara Cook. I'm like, oh my god! And then she turns around and she sings that lovely, lovely song to me. And mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. just like,
3: all right. So how does a boy from Florida get interested in musical theater in the first place?
0: I don't know. I really uh, don't know. I I really didn't even have any desire to do this. Uh, I learned that I could sing at 17, and uh, I sang in choir in church, but that was a basically a rite of passage. So I, my grandfather was a preacher. My dad was a chairman of the deacon board. So I lived in church. And so at age nine, uh, I just kind of followed my friends and started singing. Uh, you know, that was kind of like to be with them just to hang out. We weren't like even a really good choir, but we made a quote unquote joyful noise, uh, to the Lord. And so I grew up in the church. I grew up in the choir. I get into junior, I get into high school and in my, uh, junior year, Halfway through, you have to have so many electives to graduate, mm-hmm. and they put me in home economics, and I'm like, you know what, I'm not oh. really, I don't <laughs> want to sew or cook right now at 16. So, um, then I go to the the uh, choir room, and th- I said, you know, I sing in church, I'll sing in in, in uh, school. I can meet some girls. I'll get an easy mm-hmm. grade. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. And that's when I found this love of this music that I'd never really, really listened to before, like, like, really, really listened to. And I started singing classical music, I started singing Broadway songs. And it just that was my aha moment. And from there, I just kept 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 it up. But uh, it was a hobby, I didn't think I was good enough for professional. Um, and I just, I studied business in college. I worked in advertising for a newspaper for about five years. Ah. And then I always sang at night. I would sing at weddings or sing with, you know, bands or, uh, the big deal back then in the eighties was, uh, the, was star search. So my, uh, I lived in Orlando, by the way, I grew up in Orlando and, uh, there were a lot of like bars that had contests like star search. Mm. And I would, I would enter those, I would win some, I'd lose some, whatever, but this one particular one that I was in, there was a judge in the audience who was a producer for a cruise ship, and after I won, he came up to me and said, hey, I'd like to offer you a job on my cruise, and that's how I got started, because I had to make a decision right there.
3: All right, now here you are, you you say, you know, your parents, uh, you come from this religious background, did Mm -hmm. they say, oh my God, you're going into show business?
0: No, no, it, it was, it actually was kind of an interesting uh, journey because my parents were at that time were just on the verge of retiring and I, you know, I was done with school, I was working and uh, having a career. The people that I was most worried about, because this was like age 25, and the people I was most worried about were my fiance at the time and my boss, and my boss actually came up to me and said, you know what, you don't want to be 85 years old saying coulda, woulda, shoulda, go for it. If it doesn't work out, you can always come back. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. It's cor- uh, correct that one of your first things was Miss Saigon, right? Uh, yes, that was my second show. Yes. Tommy and- was first, right? Tommy was my first Broadway show. Yeah. Uh-huh.
4: <laughs> you know what? Uh, oddly enough, on... Um- Uh, IBDB, It says Phantom because
1: it's by opening night. Night, It's listed by opening
4: night. I didn't realize that. that Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. Uh, But I didn't get to see you as John and Miss Saigon. But I do remember you were involved in one of those. I guess it was Broadway on Broadway. Uh-huh. One of those huge uh, Times Square events. Oh, that yeah, yeah, un- yeah, Regrettably, don't have anymore. And and that must have been amazing as one of your first experiences.
0: Oh my god, to be
4: yeah. in uh, to be performing in front of you know thousands and thousands of
0: people in Times Square. Oh my god, yeah, it was so amazing to look at. Like uh, they said that 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 day, I think it was around twenty thousand or thirty thousand people, and just to see that sea of people out there yeah. and, and the love for theater. You know what I mean? It yes. wasn't a rock. It wasn't a rock concert. It was theater. Um, and so that's what's been so disheartening about this whole thing, because Broadway and, and off-Broadway and the theater around town has been the heartbeat of what New York is all about. And these, you know, it stems from there. And that's when the restaurants open up and the bars and the hotels and, you know, the tourists. Sometimes we complain about the tourists, you know, because they're in our way, on our way to work. But, but you know, they're they're our lifeline. And uh, so it's it's been... Really strange. I'm sorry. I digressed for a second. I, I apologize. No, no, no.
3: The, no, not at all. It's a conversation. You know, yeah.
0: Kind of...
1: <laughs> so, Norm, you uh, your, your opening night cast of Tommy. I mean, uh, did you imagine at the time when you were opening on Broadway that uh, these people, these this Michael Servers and Chasing Nicole Cap. Uh, chapman and uh christian hoff and paul candel i mean donnie kerr these are people that have gone on to do michael mcelroy michael mcelroy did you know michael before you got into tommy
0: i'm sorry i don't even know these people Who are you? okay. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've risen above you've risen above i, I, I see
1: they're I alice know. ripley
0: i mean you know <laughs> you realize. no it's so funny you're right that's that cast was full, like sherry renee scott You know, all these people, I think out of all of us, there have, there are about four Tony's and then there were about like six or seven Tony nominations, you know, throughout the years that from that particular cast. It's just, it was tremendous. I mean, we, still stay in touch with each other, Um, you know, not on a regular basis, but we see each other every once in a while. We try to actually we've been trying to do like a reunion just amongst ourselves. Uh Um, But yeah, I love those people. It was my first show. So I was I was bright eyed and bushy tailed and just, you know, just my eyes were like, oh, my God, I was so green. But it was amazing uh, to be a part of such a, a tremendous show, such a tremendous cast. And, you know, I'll never, ever forget that moment.
2: When I saw Tommy, I was still in school. We went on a school trip, and a bunch of teenagers sitting in the a bunch of teenagers sitting in the you know very top balcony of the St. James, you know, using binoculars to look down to the stage. And I loved to play a game whenever I saw a show, since I knew Cheater Rivera had come up from the ensemble. I loved watching the ensemble of a big show and trying to figure out who in the ensemble is going to be the next Cheater Rivera who's going to rise up and become a huge star <laughs> and walking out with my friends at the time i was saying that norm lewis was amazing he's gonna be <laughs> i can tell
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna be the next cheetah rivera yeah. <laughs> i love that i'm gonna put that in my special like skills um, <laughs> <laughs> next and awesome thank you for that that's very sweet
2: even even then, could tell. I can tell.
1: <laughs> Norm, do you remember the uh, uh, Krista McCullough, uh, young Tommy, age four? Yeah, um, is thirty now. Yeah, I know. Oh.
2: Listen. No, <laughs> why, James? And, why? And why did and, you no?
0: And she has a child, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Oh Just God. to put it all in perspective here.
2: <laughs> why did you have to do that, James?
0: You know, it's funny because one of the Tams—I can't remember her name right off the bat right now—but I have a picture of her. But one of the Tams in Miss Saigon was a girl because they usually would hire girls because they stayed small and they could keep them longer. Uh, playing one of the you know playing a little boy. And I had a picture of her where I'm holding her. She was four at the time. And holding her in my arms, and we took a picture. And then all of a sudden, she came to visit me in Porky and Bess. And she was 24. (laughs) And we took the same picture. So we have a side-by-side picture of the two of us (laughs) where I was holding her at four and and, and then at age 24. And, yeah, they grow up so fast, man.
1: Side-by-side. So you lead us right into Mr. Sondheim and your relationship Mm -hmm. with the Sondheim work. I mean, uh, you know, all over the place, as, as well as doing a tremendous amount of Broadway shows that we just talked about, and uh, a tremendous amount of film and television as well. And we'll get to scandal in a few minutes. But um, you you go out into uh, various regional theaters and off-Broadway to do things like Sweeney Todd. Uh, And you also did, uh, what was it? You did a side-by-side. The uh, fire alarm went off in the middle of performance as well. So (laughs) this this Sweeney with uh, Carolee Carmelo that you did off-Broadway... Um, what, what, had you done a Sweeney prior to that?
0: Yeah, Uh, I'd done done two Sweeney's before that. And this was a different
1: type of Sweeney.
0: Right. This was more uh, interactive. So I got, we were like up close and personal. Um, basically... You know, we were jumping on tables, we were I put the, the, the blade to people's throats and yelling at people and, and the I was one of them. Were, were you really? <laughs> yeah. Are you serious? That's awesome. You stood you came behind me at one point and said, Yo <laughs> <laughs> I love it but you know that was the experience that people pay for they knew they were going to be like in in it in the show and so that was the lovely part about it for us as actors it was really interesting because you know I went to see it before uh, Carolee and I went in and what was so great about that we were actually having to play a game of stare with the audience and I had to win so basically you're looking at the audience you're you're like one foot away from them, if, if not closer, and you had to stay in the show. And so um, it was interesting. I, I went back to what John Caird, who directed Les Mis, told me one time, because we were talking about I'm doing the soliloquy of stars uh, uh, by myself on that stage. And he said, once you look into the audience, he said, it's not a performance. You're looking at each person in the audience, and they are a different thought. And I said, oh so i 'm going to use that in this mm. realm, so I would play a game of stare with people when I was pissed off or whatever Sweeney Todd, and they you could see them feeling uncomfortable and looking away <laughs> or whatever but I would do it as on purpose as an actor you know acting uh, uh exercise as well, but then it, it became a great uh a great skill set to to uh put into your your whatever your vernacular or whatever so I got to interview Norm for that show for the Sondheim Review.
4: And we talked about the pies. Do you remember? Because you, you said you had seen the show before you went into it. Right. And they right. gave you a pie and you really liked it. And I said, well, what's well, not to like? It's, you know, it's dough. It's, it's, it's gravy. It's, it's meat. And you said, yeah, but if I was going to make one of those pies for you, it really would be the worst pie in London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: A couple of years ago, you hung out with uh, your friend John Legend and did uh, Jesus Christ Superstar Live. In concert, um, and tell us about that uh, that
0: experience there. Well, after he begged me to, you know, do the show. Yeah, I (laughs) understand. He did. (laughs) No, it was so awesome. I had no idea. You know, I never, ever, ever thought that I would ever do uh, any part in Jesus Christ Superstar. For some reason, that just was. I love the show so much. I just never thought that I that was my voice type, and uh, to be, you know asked to do this, you know, oh, gentleman, you know, to be that guy, Mm -hmm. I just, that was just never in my realm. And so for them to say, yes, you got the part. I'm like, oh man, this is so cool. And also to see John do his thing, you know, John, it was interesting because John is not what you normally see, you know, the voice type that you normally hear as Jesus And I thought he did a fantastic job just because of the passion that he brought to it and his commitment to it. Because he had just come back from Asia and uh, from a concert tour, but he was in it. And like he was lagged and everything, but he was in it to win it. And then Brandon Victor Dixon, who, who just rocked the entire thing. I was like so proud to be a part of that show. And everybody in the ensemble, what was so great about this? was like, this show could never be on Broadway with this cast because everybody in the ensemble had been a lead in a show in, you know somewhere in their life, but they wanted to be in this particular production. And uh, I, just, I just, you know, the process was so, just so amazing.
1: And, you know, Sarah Brellis and Alice oh. Cooper in the same show
0: yeah. with you. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> and And also, just the fact that uh, David Laveau, who was our director, and I'm forgetting the cinematographer's name right now, but David Laveau just he's directed on stage and he's directed on film, and the way he meld this concert show Broadway thing you know like it was the perfect storm and making the audience you know the crowd uh that Jesus was talking to, mm-hmm. I just thought it was such and that's why we I think we won five Emmys or something like that
2: mm-hmm. sounds thinking. about right.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's uh it it's one of those things that it it was a one night only thing but uh did it get uh did it Get you recognized uh, on the street when people were like, "Hey, you know, you were on uh, that Jesus Christ Superstar thing," more than your Broadway stuff. I mean, this this went around the world, and you have played around the world. I mean, we've you've done uh, extraordinarily stuff, extraordinary stuff all over the world. Did this uh, superstar take it to a different fan base? I
0: think so. I think I probably gained some some recognition from uh, new people. Uh, it was interesting because. Um, uh, and some of the comments that came in, cause they would send us things that came in from, uh, Twitter or came in from, uh, uh like any social media. But one of the ones that stood out to me is like, who's the Zaddy, Z-A-D-D-Y, with the, uh, with the cornrows?
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so now I'm, I'm Zaddy status. So <laughs> I love it. I don't even know what that is. It, it, I think it's some sort of sexual term or something. I don't know. One I step see.
3: above a daddy. Yeah. No, there you go. Excuse. Yeah. Uh, now um, in applause, there's a lyric uh, welcome to the flop you thought would run for years. Okay. Uh, have you had that experience? On oh
0: God. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I've been in a couple of flops actually. Uh, I thought Sideshow was going to be our mm. you know, uh, a longer show, and and even the revival it did the same. I think amount of time. It's so unfortunate because it's such a beautiful story. Um, but yeah, we thought that Sideshow was it. People were it was the word of mouth was great, and mm-hmm. you know people kept winning awards around the country at regional mm-hmm. theater because it it touched the hearts of so many people um but yeah it's that show that for some reason just can't either market it it's not marketed well or whatever but uh i don't know i was really disappointed that that show's not running longer um but i've been in a couple of flops i did uh, a moor which i thought was a fun show but um, but um yeah it just didn't <laughs> quite make it uh what was the other flop i did uh the wild party Oh, my God. So, The Wild Party. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being, like, right on it. (laughs) Not only do I have Zoom, whatever, that Zoom anxiety thing, but now I got, you know, uh, someone insulting me online. So, uh, (laughs) now I'm going to have to seek therapy. No, I'm just kidding. No. No, Wild Party actually was one of those shows that I have a friend of mine God, I'm talking so much. But anyway, I have a friend of mine who came to see it who has a degree, a master's degree in music and a master's degree in psychology. And she told me after she saw the show, she said, the only reason why people don't like it, the ones who don't, is because they can't really understand it or they feel really uncomfortable. And I actually have to say that that's kind of true because the music is, it's Michael John LaCusa and, you know, he's, he's got his eclectic way of putting music together and structuring it, but it's so beautiful. And I thought the storyline was great, but it does get to a very uncomfortable because we make the audience part of the party. And it, if you think about it, you've been at, you've been to some parties where you first come in and you're like, you know, you're dressed to the nine and you're like, Hey, how are you? Hey, what do you do? And blah, blah, blah. But after a couple of rounds of drinks, you get a little looser And someone either someone gets out of line or you get out of line or you feel more comfortable with someone and less inhibited. And maybe sometimes the clothes get a little looser or whatever. And I think that the audience was feeling a little uncomfortable with some of the language and some of the things that were happening (laughs) on stage.
2: When did you get involved in the production?
0: I got involved uh, cuz they did the workshop. I didn't do the workshop, but they uh, when it came to Broadway, like when they decided to have the 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 Broadway run and Tony Collette was uh, our Queenie, Mandy Patinkin was our Burr. Uh it was a great cast. It was a fantastic cast. Eartha Kitt, come on. Come on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Come on. Yeah.
2: I had heard that originally the show was meant to run for several hours and the audience would just come and go as they needed. So it would be like a real party with the audience as the guests just wandering in and out of the theater space. Uh, were you part of it? when? I, wasn't, it was I wasn't
0: part of that incarnation, but I think that that was a concept in the beginning. Uh, but then I think obviously they kind of squashed that. Because literally in the when we first started the show in previews, our show ran, it was only one act and it, it ran for like two hours and something. Oof. Oof. <laughs> and so obviously they were like, no, we have to cut that down. So, uh, but they wanted to keep it one act. They didn't want to have a, a split. And uh, we got it down to like 140 or something like that.
2: Yeah, something like that.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, did you lose any material?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I,
3: I mean, you. Did I lose? Yes.
0: I lost uh, a couple of songs and. Uh, You know, like, but a lot of people did because it, what, the reason why it ran so long because they got more in depth with each individual character. So Mm -hmm. uh, when we had to cut it, Michael John, like we had a meeting uh, on a matinee, I'll never forget it. Uh, And George Wolf and Michael John LaCusa came and sat us down and said, okay, we have to cut this down because it's just blah, blah, blah. Um, And the way that he melded, there was a song that he put all of our songs that were cut into this one song, and it became this cacophony of just oh. loud music mm-hmm. that we were screaming to the audience, and uh, it was so beautifully done. it was like, "Oh my god, yeah, yeah!" It was hard to learn, but we got it. You know, we got it in there for that night. We didn't do it that matinee, but we did it that night.
1: It's time to revive an important annual debate: Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Hmm. It's tough to decide, but I think also... I think of It's a Wonderful Life. Is that a Christmas movie? Or even closer to home, Holiday Inn, the uh, movie and the subsequent roundabout Broadway production of Holiday Inn. Was that a Christmas musical? A Christmas movie for Bing Crosby? I don't know. I would say not. Unfortunately, if you go to Netflix, you'll discover a shocking lack of Die Hard. Tis the season to be thankful, though... You can access a Netflix library where Die Hard is actually available with ExpressVPN. This weekend, I did just that to access the German Netflix. It's super easy. I just fired up ExpressVPN app, changed my location, refreshed Netflix, and that's it. ExpressVPN changes your IP address so you can control where the sites think you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries. Just think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. Pro tip. If you want to do a Die Hard marathon, you'll find Die Hard 3 and Die Hard 4 available too. And of course, it's not just for Die Hard. You can use ExpressVPN to access thousands of new titles on Netflix, Disney Plus, BBC iPlayer, you name it. ExpressVPN is ridiculously fast for streaming movies. There's never any buffering and it's always streams in 4K or HD. ExpressVPN is also compatible with all your devices so you can watch whatever you want on the go or on the big stream. yippee kaye! If you visit our special link right now at expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free on a one-year package. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio.
4: We'd like to thank ExpressVPN for continuing to support Broadway Radio. Back to Sondheim, um, I I got to see Norm as
0: Bobby and Company. Yeah, uh,
4: up in Nayak. Yeah. Nyack. Uh,
0: that was that was really special. Yeah, that was where. Uh, so just to qualify what you were saying earlier, that was where the alarm went off. Yeah. Oh, oh. yes. So that was where, the, and so the alarm went off a couple of times, and then there was a moment where um, uh, there was this woman screaming. I was doing a scene. I wasn't <laughs> singing yet, but I was doing a scene with Marta, uh, who sings another hundred people and we're just getting to know each other, blah, blah, blah. But this woman kept screaming, please stop the show. He's having a heart attack. And I, and I heard it once and I kept going and then I heard it again and I stopped the show. I said, ladies and gentlemen, we're stopping the show. Someone's having a heart attack. Is there a doctor, you know? And they finally took him and got him into the, uh, to the, to the doctor and took him to the hospital. But, uh, he was fine. He ended up being fine. But it's those you know. That's live theater.
3: Mm.
1: Oh, up in wow. Nyack, the hospital's like a couple blocks away. So oh, right well, there. there you go. Here
3: Here go. go. Here. So
0: I saved a life.
3: Wow. Yes, you <laughs> did. Yes, you did. <laughs> but
0: you killed people in Scandal. But I killed people in Scandal. No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was just check I
1: was just testing to see, you know, if Olivia Pope and Associates had you kill anybody, and it got cut.
3: You know,
0: I I was you know I I, I think I was on my way to that, and I had yeah and that's when we needed her help to get me out of that situation.
3: So many times I've seen uh references to Sondheim telling people what he liked or didn't like about the way they sang his songs. <laughs> so as a result, uh and Sondheim on Sondheim was uh was Stephen Sondheim actually hands-on, uh did oh. he show up a lot. He
0: was the he was the second uh director. Yeah, he was uh-huh. he, he was the, he was the assistant director too, James Lapine. He was there uh, at least um I would say about of the time just you know kind of the thing about him what because obviously he I call him the Shakespeare of musical theater because you know his words his music you don't even have to act you could just stand there and sing the song because the music and the words will take you there but uh, to give you backstories, like to have him give you why he wrote it, how he wrote it, when he wrote it, was just amazing. That's what Sondheim on Sondheim, We can't even qualify as a show because it's a it's a concert, it's a, a masterclass, it's a it's a documentary. You know, it's we just didn't know what how to qualify it. And so, even something as minor as this. So for years, I've been singing. Uh, 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 being alive, and I say somebody hold me too close. Somebody hurt me. He was always correcting me and saying, "It's somebody, like not somebody, but huh. body." And he's like, "It's the body of the person that you want." <laughs> I see. And so I he literally, and I'm like, "This sounds so weird to me," but for him to give me that note. I said I have to take. Obviously, I have to take it because he wrote it, and this is his story. But it was like somebody hold me too close, somebody hurt me too deep, and I, you know, and ever since then, I've, that's been in my mind, and uh, mm. that's the way I do it now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, Richard J. Alexander directed your fifty-four below show. Did Richard J. come up from Miami, or was he? Uh, did, was he on site?
0: Not for this particular one. Uh, he's, uh, every, you know, all the other ones, yes. I mean, he's, he kind of, sure. yeah, this yeah. is Christmas. That's, that's what he enjoys. This one, no, just because of safety reasons, but he was there, uh, by Skype and FaceTime and things like that. And, and were so, the
1: other folks, so was Sierra there? Was the band, was the band there or did everybody record
0: separately or had, no, no, happen? the band was there and, you know, we were safely distanced and they were wearing mm-hmm. masks. Uh, Sierra was there. My cousin was there. Uh, there was a, and also the sound people were there. So it was a very limited amount of people. The the camera people were there. Everybody was safe. Uh, we had to have COVID tests, and mm-hmm. we also had to uh, make sure we checked in. On, there was a thing, an app that we had to sign in every day. Uh, what we had done during the, you know for that day, um, and we we, we we did all the uh, COVID protocol, and uh, we wanted to make sure everybody was safe. Four camera shoot. Yeah, four camera shoot
1: that's great uh, so was it like a uh, sitcom setup where they all rolled at the same time or did they do uh, oh yeah or, it was
0: definitely do, multi-camera and multi-camera so, so he had to uh, he had choices yeah uh, we could fade in and out and show different angles mm-hmm. and things like that so it was really cool um, you know again it's one of those things where you finish a song and you like you know it's dramatic and you're like ah and then there's no the applause and you go okay so i have done mm-hmm. that before mm-hmm. but I, did, I did Seth's a uh, concert series and it felt weird, but it also felt good because it was like, I got a chance to perform again. And I knew there was an audience out there. Um, this is, it's different, but yet now we're used to it and you just transition. Like you just, you finish this big number and you just kind of soak it in and you talk about your story and you talk about why you're here. You talk about the next song. You, you know, you just kind of go into it and you just hope and pray people go along with you. And I think they do. Uh, and especially, you know, literally you can, once you purchase this, you can be in your PJs with a glass of wine and you can just sit back and just watch it on your TV or your computer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't have to dress up and come to the, uh, to the venue. This is, but you kind of, but you still feel like you're there.
1: You should mention that everybody gets free parking if they if they get
0: yeah, your absolutely. show.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> because that's the that's the tough part of fifty four below. It's the
0: oh my god! I'll stamp it's your the, ticket. The
1: parking, yeah. You validate. You're validate. validating. You know? That's the word. That's the word. You, you're
3: know. so L A. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> let's talk about um porgy and Bess. oh excuse me the gershwin's porgy and Bess, <laughs> yes. a very controversial production uh and yeah. here you are you had this experience with steven sondheim who of course uh, wrote a letter about this production of porgy and Bess. did you ever have any deep feelings about what was right or what was wrong uh etc cetera, etc cetera, about this production
0: Yes, uh, okay, so for, for years, uh, African Americans have actually gone back and forth with, there's so, been so many controversies about this show. First of all, you know, is it an opera or is it a jazz experience? You know, like, you know, some opera, pu- opera, I can't even say it, opera purists are like, this, not, this is a jazz, you know, uh, show. It's not an opera. It's not a pure opera. And then there were people who were like, shut up. It, you know, you have to the a <laughs> voice to sing this stuff. And then there, there were people, uh, especially a lot of African-Americans who thought that it was a little bit too archetype, you know, archetype and, and, uh, stereotype. And so there was, a uh, some people who mm-hmm. were against it. Um, over the years, it has been this beautiful, piece of music. It's just, you know, DeBose Haywood, who wrote the book that it's based on, and then his wife, who turned it into a play, and then the Gershwins, who saw that play and decided to make it into this amazing musical experience. Um, It was, and it is, uh, an observation from uh, white America on this Black culture. Now, they did the best they could. There's a lot of things that are left out in the sense of trying to understand what this black culture is. And so the Gershwins, the, the estate, I think kind of knew that and they wanted to bring it to a broader audience and not just have it in an operatic house. And so Diane Paulus, who uh, was teaching and and also the uh, artistic director up at ART in Boston um, at, uh, at Harvard had been doing a study on this and, got really involved and really in depth with this and wanted to know more. <laughs> and they came to her and said, Hey, let's do this. Let's bring it back to Broadway. Now, the reason why it's called the Gershwin's poor game best is because the Gershwin's wanted it that way because there's a uh, Ira camp and there's a George camp and they've been fighting for years <laughs> on who has, you know, cause I think George gets most of the credit for writing it, but Ira had a lot to do with it too, obviously. And so they, for years, it, even on, uh, um, in the opera house, they call it the Gershwin's poor game best. Now I know that, uh, Steven wrote this letter and a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon saying, yeah, it shouldn't be touched. You know, the archetypes are, are fully uh, established and blah, blah, blah. And it's not because he was upset that, um, Diane Susan Laurie parks and Audra had said this in, in the media but these, these characters are not fully, it's a beautiful show, but they're not fully developed. And so we wanted to find what, like, why is Bess, just for lack of a better term, a crack addict whore? You know, it, she's just not, you know, like, we're just going to throw on stage and she's addicted to cocaine. Woohoo! Why not go in depth and find out a little bit more about this? So we went back to the book. We did obviously a lot of study because, uh, being African-American ourselves and a lot of history in the South and things like that, we wanted to bring some truth to it. So that's why we got, uh, Kevin Brown, uh, from evidence, uh, dance company to bring some of the culture of what that dance would be at that time in history. So that's authentic dancing that you see in the show. Um, A lot of the language, a lot of the uh, uh, affectations and the way we speak is authentic. And Audra even went so deep as in the book, she has a scar. You know, there's a description of Bess having a scar on her face because she's been beaten so much. Mm -hmm. And she every day she would go to the makeup people and they would put a scar on her face so she can have that, to you know, that that so that can resonate within Mm -hmm. her. And then to, for me, it was really interesting to see her struggle with the cocaine. In the opera, I've seen the woman take the happy dust, as they call it, and after the song, there's a boat leaving for New York, and she just takes it and she goes, okay, I'm going to leave now and go to New York. You know what I mean? As opposed to Audra struggling, like, I want to be better now for this community. I want to be better for Porgy because I love him. And it was just... I just found it... I love the way that we worked together. I love the way that we went deeper with the story. And uh, I hope it has a continued run. I know it has a lot of success on the road uh, after we did it. And so people loved it. And we got the Tony Award. So, So there. Uh,
1: Norm, I... I wanted to ask you a question. Who, uh, who, who is this Audra person you
0: mentioned? <laughs> oh, she is. Um, oh my God, you guys! What are- a
1: cast! So, You're David Allen a- Greer, Audra McDonald, uh, Philip Boykin, Nikki Re- Renee Daniels, Josh Henry. I mean, again, uh, a cast that to die for anywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah, to live for. And, and you know, it's so interesting because Diane Paul has made us play this theater game that I was at first. I was like so against. I'm like, what the hell? Oh, come on, you know. And, but it added so much to it. So before we actually got started, uh, or during our, our rehearsal period, she made us do a five-minute presentation, each one of us, presentation to each other on who our character was, whether you had a name in the show or didn't have a name, and then you gave yourself a name. And so I found out that I had a cousin you know, in the show or in this on stage. And I would call that cousin while we were on stage and it just made our relationship deeper. And one of the great reviews that I I love was the fact that most, actually they were really consistent uh, across the board is that you, you were looking at a community of people who loved each other and that's, I love that. So thank you, Diane, for making us play those theater games. Mm
4: I was going to say uh, one of the one of the last shows I saw before the pandemic was, uh, and actually Peter was there at the same performance. uh, Right, that's right. Was Porgy and Bess
0: at the Met? Oh yeah. I was wondering if you got to see that production. I did. I did. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was so beautiful. You know, because you got to see and hear the lush music. uh, You know that that they wrote for this. The show, when it originally opened in 1935, was. 40 minutes too long Mm. uh uh, for them and they they walked around town they walked around boston like the whole night what and were trying to figure out what to cut and they but they cut 40 minutes out of it uh and it's still like a three and a half hour show yes but but it's (laughs) so beautiful and then and that was one of the things that we wanted to uh address as a broadway show because obviously you can't do a three and a half hour show and you can't sing that high or that low eight times a week. So we had to kind of manipulate those things to make it work for a Broadway show. And and in opera, I'm sure you know this, but, you know, there's a thing called recitative where they, they talk about something for, like, 10 minutes. Like, this cup of water is cold. It's refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> this cup of water is beautiful. And, and instead of just picking up the cup and drinking it and going, ah. And that's what we decided to do. We decided to turn the recitative into dialogue. And, like, and even for... Uh, forgive me if I'm talking too long. But even, for instance, like, when we were doing the song Best You is my woman now, there was a moment where if we had interrupted that m- previous moment to the song, it just wouldn't have worked because, you know, it has this beautiful, you know, that kind of thing. Instead of like, Audra had this moment where I helped her with not taking the happy dust. She walks away and she, every fiber of her being says, Thank you. And, you know, no one has ever done anything for her without her, you know, having to Mm -hmm. give up something. So her best was fighting that. And I just I heard a chord from a cello and I said, Bess, you is my woman now. You know, what I mean, instead of waiting for all that music. So Mm -hmm. so it just kind of, you know, that the process was so glorious and we had such a good time.
1: (laughs) So, Norm, uh, what are you doing for the future? Anything in the in the hopper that uh, you can talk about? That's interesting. That um, when are you coming back to Broadway? Any any thoughts, plans?
0: I have a lot of stuff. I can't talk about it.
3: Okay. Uh,
1: no. no uh, <laughs> I Norm. Uh, mainly, <laughs> no. people need you back in a Broadway show because we need you back in the Broadway show league. Uh, because yeah, exactly, Central's, you know, yeah, you and uh Neil Berg, um, yes, you know, pl- playing playing ball in Central Park. That's what we yes. need. Neil Berg, return- I
0: love that guy.
3: What position do you play?
0: uh Well, it's uh I'm. I don't have any plans uh, for stage as of yet. There's a couple of little things that we're talking about, actually, uh, me and Billy Porter. But um, but um, I've done some television, actually. I can't talk about... I actually can't mention what the show okay. is. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, I, I've done... I was blessed to do a couple of shows just a, a few weeks ago. Um, and... Uh, and my movie came out this year, so that was great. Uh, Defy Bloods, the Spike Lee film, mm-hmm. and um, and that you know you can still see it on Netflix, so that's still running. Uh, also, uh, I did Mrs. America last year, and I'm part of that uh, miniseries, so that's still uh, in rotation on whatever that network. I think it's Hulu or whatever. Um, but there's a couple of little things that are that are in the future. There's some concerts that we're talking about doing safely distance. And I think there's a couple of outdoor concerts that we're talking about doing next year. And I'm just working on some stuff, you know, uh, like everybody else, just trying to make it. Uh, I think I'm going to start a podcast soon. Ah. Uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, but I, I want to help actors make it in this business. And it's a different twist on what, you know, it's not about the acting or the uh, acting business. It's a different thing, a different twist, but I'll, I'll talk about that soon. Great. Awesome.
1: Well, Norm, I really want to thank you for coming to talk with us on Broadway Radio. Um, Your show is going to be streaming live beginning on Thursday, December seventeenth, 8, eight p.m. Eastern time, and will run from December eighteenth through the thirty-first. So you can catch up with that. It's a great stocking stuffer, one size fits all, yeah. free parking, yes. Uh, <laughs> no drink minimum. You're yes. all set. And, uh, and listen, and- like
0: I, like you were saying, you know, great stocking stuffer. Or it's one of those things. Where it's like, oh man, I didn't get a gift for someone, and it, and it's Christmas Eve. You can just say, hey, I'm going to order this. Hey, mom. I just bought you Norm's Christmas show. Just for, you know, for 90, 90 minutes, sit back and relax and drink some wine.
1: <laughs> All right, Norm, when the uh, next uh, round of things comes out, please come back and talk with us on Broadway Radio.
0: Listen, I am so honored that you guys uh, have me on this show. You're so much fun. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I would come back anytime. Just Remember, someone is on your side, someone else is not. While you're seeing your side, maybe you forgot they are not alone, no one is.
1: Wow, I can't believe 11 years and we didn't have Norm on Broadway Radio yet. Uh, that's totally my fault because we, we we really should have. And it's wonderful to talk with Norm and uh, support his projects. And he he's just he's just such a warm, happy person. That's a good thing to, mm-hmm. for us to mm-hmm. have these days.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, it just worked out really well because I saw the press release about the, this event at you know this 54 event. Yeah, and uh, I I just thought he might really like to come on and talk about that.
1: Yeah, no, that was great. Talk about warm and happy. This is how Mm. I felt when I finished watching The Prom on Netflix. I think all four of us have seen it, so Peter, why don't you start us off on the Prom on Netflix.
3: Well, I was a big fan of The Prom when it was on Broadway. Uh, I went three times and I would have gone again. Uh, I had it run longer. Uh, so I was uh, really looking forward to this. And uh, I haven't been disappointed. Um, w- one thing that amazed me beyond belief with the production values. The art mm. direction and set decorations are exquisite and extraordinary. Um, <clears throat> boy, um, people say uh occasionally that people throw money at things um uh, money was caressed here i i'm telling you it's just amazing to see so and and especially when one is told that um that scene of uh 45th street was essentially built out in california mm, yeah. right yeah, mm-hmm. yes. which it, you will notice some uh, um, differences from the way that street looks in reality, <laughs> but it's pretty much the same. And the Imperial's um, not next to Sardis, indeed. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, it's not. But uh, but still, uh, it's it's a tremendous looking thing, and the cinematography is marvelous. I there's a lot of zooming. Um, there's a, in the old fashioned sense of the word. Um, there's a lot of 360 um, camera work, and um, I really. think thought uh, it was a- a, a sensational version of um, the stage show, which a few people did say was um, was not spectacular in the way it looked on the Longacre stage in terms of the scenery. Well, um, they've certainly made up for it now, if that's the way you felt. Um, wonderful to hear uh, Meryl Streep say it's possible to change the world, and we have power to change the world from James Corden, because that's, of course, what this story is all about, that they are going to go out to Edgewater, Indiana, and they're going to um, make things right out there for this poor um, lesbian girl who wants to take her date to the prom and um, the people are so upset about it that they actually cancel the prom Um, one thing that happens before they get out there is of course they are in this musical version of Eleanor Roosevelt (laughs) which by the way has been tried by a lot of people Cy Coleman (laughs) and Dorothy Fields tried to do it Um, it's not where you start it's where you finish that wound up in Seesaw actually came from that and uh, Gretchen Cryer and uh, Nancy Ford did one and then there was another one that was produced regionally Um, so it has been tried and all those people who wrote those shows would be happy if indeed uh their musical was not the one referenced and in the prom because it only lasts one night you do see a tiny scene of it and it's really something to see James Corden um as FDR he rather uh, resembles him in a way that you wouldn't (laughs) expect so I mean there are a lot of little shots here and there of this that and the other thing of even the principal going to see a Broadway show because he's a big Broadway fan um so so I really really liked it and I was very very grac- uh, glad that um, uh, Meryl Streep and James Corden would want to be in this um, you know given that they're big stars I am surprised that when they go to Indiana they're on the bus um, going out there with the cast um, of oh I wouldn't think that they would take the bus I wouldn't think that Meryl Streep would do that but that's another story um, in her big number um, it's not about me she talks about uh, she was in Beauty and the Beast and watch her body language when she mentions Beauty and the Beast. There's a cute little in-joke there. It's uh, great fun uh, that I think that... Um, so uh, I don't know that um, Emma and Alyssa would be so affectionate in front of the school building, um, so I did question that, especially when Mom shows up in the parking lot, but because uh, Mom is the villain of the piece uh, who really would rather cancel the prom than see it happen. I am also confused about... Um, Alyssa being taken to the prom by her mother. And uh, who's her date? Um, That that's something that I've always thought is very uh, strange. Um, The, uh, the number involving bigotry is aborted. It's not on the soundtrack. Um, It's, it's shortened tremendously here uh, in the movie, but, um, but um, still uh, the soundtrack album does do it justice. Um, And I, I, very much um thought that the um they they should be surprised when they get to the prom and there's nobody in the parking lot um it doesn't go yes. to Pearl street a little too late mm, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but um i did think that was um strange um the Zaz number does um involve a lot of fussy choreography and i thought that was very good um and um uh, but all in all, um, I, I did feel that um, Barry's dance partner was unexpected. I'm going to leave it at that. And um, so uh, this heart is the best part of me is a line that we hear. And I do think that that's really quite true of this property. So um, it must be so exciting for Chad Beglin, uh, Matthew Sklar, still you know, reasonably young songwriters, um, to have this Show that uh, one wouldn't necessarily expect would become a movie with Meryl Streep and James Corden. Right. Um, And uh, to have this happen and to have it so handsome. Now, I am going to talk about the issue that has uh, really plagued this, and that is the James Corden issue that a lot of people feel that um, I've read a lot of reviews saying that – He's much too, I'll use a word that uh, Ethan Morden uses um, minty um, in his um, uh, characterization of uh, Barry, that uh, it's much too of a stereotyped uh, gay. I I imagine these people did not see the stage show because I think Brooks Ashmanskitz was was far more in that league. And again, I didn't even find that offensive, believe me, when I saw um Brooks do it. No. But here um I have to say that um I it, given that I read so many reviews criticizing James Corden, I expected him to be super over the top and I didn't find that at all. Now I have spoken to some of my friends like Josh Ellis and Jay Clark um who are gay and who have said the same thing. They didn't feel that he was over the top. And uh, so but those t- two people saw the show on Broadway. And so I think that may uh, be the just as I always say, people who saw Man of La Mancha downtown at the Anti Washington Square Theater when it was um, in a not in a conventional space seemed to like the show more than people who saw it um, in conventional Broadway theaters. So um, so I do believe that that's uh, informing a lot of the criticism that involves James Corden, that people weren't prepared for it uh, in the way that those of us who saw the stage show were. So if you have been put off by reviews who have said that, um, come to it with that knowledge that um, Brooks Aschbanskis, uh, and again, I liked his performance, Um, This is not a criticism of him, but um, he was was far more in that direction than James Corden is, who I think is very sensitive and very real. What's wonderful about The Prom is that these Broadway stars go out there to do something for themselves and only themselves. And they get so involved in these people's lives and they really come to care about these people. And that's what I love about The Prom, in addition to the fact that one doesn't have to be gay to really tie into this story, because all of us somewhere along the line have felt like outsiders and we feel the world is against us and that's what's happening here and we can relate to this story on that level so that's why i love the prom and always will
2: all right jenna what did you think uh, well uh i i would start by asking what did we miss on this very special episode of glee <laughs> uh, <laughs> if that's any indication uh, i i Also enjoyed it um, much, much as Peter did, probably not as much as Peter did though. Um, I'm very grateful that Ryan Murphy has advocated for the arts in his hit TV shows and that he's championed equality. Um, But I think he, I think one of the shows, the movie's biggest problems is that Ryan Murphy has never directed a movie musical before. And directing a movie musical is very different from directing just about anything else. Uh, I, spent a lot of the movie really wishing Rob Marshall had taken this one because Rob Marshall Mm. knows how to direct a movie musical. Um, I mean, I I found it messy, Uh, messy and mixed up, Uh, colorful, wonderfully colorful and ridiculous. I mean, it's in other words, it's very Ryan Murphy. Um, And I get the feeling that people who didn't see the stage version might appreciate the film more than many of those who did. Because those of us who got to see, uh, you know, the original stage musical, um, you know, Matthew Sklar, Chad, forgive me, uh, Chad Beglin. Beglin, Beglin, thank you. It's one of those names I always see written and I never hear it sure. pronounced sure. out loud sure. enough. Sure. And, and, and Bob Martin's original musical, they'll know what's missing. I mean, it... The original musical had its flaws, but its tone was at least very consistent. Uh, Martin and Beglin's book found a balance between the silliness and the sentiment, and it had a really strong sense of heart underneath it all. Uh, Their screenplay doesn't have that same heart, and it doesn't have the balance. The sentimental scenes just go to full histrionics, and then the silly scenes are so over the top that a lot of times they stop being fun. And I think we can blame a lot of that on Murphy's direction. He's not exactly famous for subtlety. Um, a lot of the issues, the stage version and the movie version tackle are nuanced and they're challenging. Um, a stage musical comedy could tackle those issues with a sense of fun. And you know if the resolutions come a bit too easy, it's a musical comedy. That's fine. We can, we can accept that. But by trying to add in more pathos, the film version just emphasizes how poorly handled a lot of those issues are. And it really seems to emphasize the weaker points in the comedy. Um, And uh, the casting, you know, I'm sorry, none of the performers from the stage version got to recreate their roles. I thought they were so flawless on stage. I loved seeing them. Uh, It's a movie. I know producers demand movie stars to finance a production. but I kept thinking, you know, while certainly appreciating, you know, a very talented cast, it I mean, literally we're watching performers pretend to be stage perform film stars pretending to be stage performers. And but it felt like we were really watching film stars pretending to be stage performers. They don't have that same sense of theatricality that Beth Level and Angie Schwar and Brooke Sushmanskis had on stage. Uh, I did think Andrew Reynolds had that real sense of a real stage performer. Uh, I thought he came across so wonderfully. I always loved seeing him. Um, but he was, you know, I felt like he was the only one who felt like a real stage performer rather than a film performer pretending to be, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, Nicole Kidman's supposed to be a chorus girl, but Her her big dance number is filmed so that we can we don't really see her move all that much and I would love to know how much of it is her and how much is a dance double because after Black Swan I question every dancing every bit of dancing that I see on film I don't trust any of it Um, and Meryl Streep she Meryl Streep's all over the place she's a great she's a good Didi she's funny she gets one of the film's biggest laugh moments Uh, you know cheers to her for that no real complaints about her performance but. I just didn't think that she would brought an awful lot that was new to the role. Um, and then as for Corden, you know, I'll defend him as a stage performer. Uh, I loved him in one man, two governors. He was terrific on stage. I, um, uh, what I thought he was lacking was the mix of vulnerability and toughness that a Broadway performer would need to survive. Uh, Corden doesn't display either vulnerability or toughness with much believability. His emotional scenes just felt maudlin, and the comic scenes were cute, but not as much fun as I thought they could be. Um, and the appropriateness of him playing the role uh, as as a straight man—I I have no lines in that scene, so I will leave that to other people. But I just really, really missed Brooks. Uh, and <laughs> it's not fair to him to keep comparing him to the stage performer. Uh, but uh, it just that balance was just off. Uh, I loved Joellen Pellman and Ariana DeBose. Um, DeBose was just she hit such a bullseye with her solo about the pressure her character's under. Mm. Oh, she thought she, just wonderful. Uh, she has the less showy role and then somehow she manages to steal every scene that she's in. Hellman, uh, she's sweet. She's endearing. Um, although I thought she smiled a bit much. Uh, you're supposed to be really struggling and suffering. Though maybe that was, that's how the character deals with her trauma. She smiles through it all. Uh, I don't know. Carrie um, Washington, uh who knew she could sing? She does some great work as, you know, the overbearing uh, PTA mom. She shows genuine concern for her daughter while simultaneously causing that daughter so much pain. And, you know, in a, in a movie without a lot of nuance, I thought she brought a lot of nuance to her role and made what could be a very one-note character into someone who's very complex. And I, I hate to say this about the villain of the story, but surprisingly sympathetic uh, and I really appreciated what she brought to it. Also who knew Keegan, Michael Key could sing so well. Uh, <laughs> I loved his performance. Uh, he thought he balanced the comedy and the frustration of his role beautifully and shout out to Kevin Chamberlain. who's tragically underused. He should be in everything. And I really want to see him play Barry because he'd be wonderful. Uh, Casey Nicola got to choreograph and that also mm. deserves a shout out. Um, even if I, I think some of the choreography didn't work perfectly with Murphy's direction, I will blame Murphy for that, not Nicola. Um, it is still, I, I love his style of, you know, athletic, acrobatic choreography, and it was great fun to see. Um, I I was saying before we started recording that, you know, this film seems to me a perfect example of how what works on a stage may not work on film. It's the difference between a painting and a photograph. And James, I got to say this first before you got to steal it. Darn, darn. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, I mean, on stage, especially with a musical comedy, we can, you know, we suspend disbelief. We expect and accept a certain amount of surrealism, but in a film, unless it's handled very carefully, that same, surrealism can suddenly be off-putting because we do expect something closer to real and the result is a movie that does feel like a very special episode of glee and not from one of the better seasons <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. okay michael yeah, you uh, did like it less than i did yeah
1: you're right yeah that's uh, that's <laughs> fair that's a fair <laughs> statement michael what'd you think
4: well, I think you really hit on something in your last statement, uh, Jenna. The the show itself is so stylized. Uh, and when it came to make a movie of that, the question was how that would be handled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there are things in it that right from the beginning uh, in the material itself. These people are being interviewed at their opening night party and they they do a musical number, you know. To the interviewers, Um, uh, at one point, uh, the name of this, when they find out about this girl who's being prevented from uh, going to the prom or the prom has been canceled because she wants to bring her girl. Uh, her girlfriend to it rather than a male uh, we see her name uh, emblazoned in, in huge lights on the theater across across the street uh, uh, when uh, I'm pretty sure this line was in the show uh, at, right at the beginning when the Meryl Streep characters interviewed about playing Eleanor Roosevelt, she says something like, well, Eleanor Roosevelt was a very, very strong and and uh, very, very admirable woman, and nobody knows anything about her. Mm-hmm. So we have <laughs> to, you know, I mean, you know, this is completely stylized. It, it, you have to go, go into it knowing that there's, this is like a, almost like a cartoon fable. Uh, it, it, there's not a lot of reality uh, involved here, and and that's the, that. I think is the crux of the situation because, of course, the basic situation is very real, and things like that ha- have happened with um, gay teenagers being prevented from going to their proms or causing controversy because they wanted to bring same-sex dates. So, I think it's the combination of the reality and the and the incredible over-the-top stylization that is the issue here and whether or not that was handled well is the crux of the situation. I, my experience in watching the film, uh, and, and, and I think James agrees cause we were talking a little bit before we started recording was that I had a, a big problem with it in the beginning, uh, for the first few scenes. And I was almost turned off, uh, to it to continuing uh but then i uh, you know i i adjusted to the stylization the level of stylization that they were going to use and i i just had to kind of make a conscious decision not to let that bother me and then after that i was able to really basically love it um mm-hmm. overall uh but although i can understand why some people would not be able to get through that hurdle uh james Corden. interestingly uh, if if there's any problem i have with his performance it's one that i don't think i've heard anyone else mention and that he's really too young for the part uh, this is supposed to be a character who's been uh in the theater for quite some time and is you know has uh, has a has a uh, a fairly long resume. Both uh, of the of those main characters are supposed to. Uh, actually, if you want to get right down to it, Meryl Streep is really a little too old for the role, and Corden is really um quite a bit too young for it uh also he uh, i mean i think he's conceived as uh, uh to be like a a a very american uh, new york jewish type of performer his name is barry glickman and i wouldn't say we got that but i have to say i really loved his performance i i i Two did not find anything offensive in it. I I thought he was very warm and uh, very very funny. I I appreciated the fact that his American accent sounded perfect to me. I, I did not hear any lapses, although I did hear a couple uh, from Nicole Kidman. Um, and it and it's interesting. Yeah, I think as Jenna alluded to, uh, the controversy with Corden's performance in some quarters is uh, not not so much the fact that people think that he's uh, camping it up too much and and playing the role is too effeminate but that he himself is uh is not is uh presents as straight uh as heterosexual in real life and there's that whole thing which i'm not going to get into because i know not want my head to explode about whether uh people need to you know gay roles need to only be played by gay people um so i, I so Anyway, regardless of the controversy, I I thought he was really wonderful. Uh, I, I loved Streep as well, though it would have, of course, it would have been great to <laughs> see Beth Level. Um, I I have never been a fan of Ryan Murphy as a director, uh, or a writer, for that matter. Uh, as a producer, yes, um, but uh, and it would have been interesting to see if Casey Nicola uh had been handed the project entirely as director as well as choreographer Mm -hmm. or uh as jenna said rob marshall uh, someone like that um that said the uh the thing i don't like uh, generally about ryan murphy is the -the over-the-top style that he has and i have to say that i i guess it really um Uh, it was appropriate to this material. Uh, If, if someone had hired me to direct the movie, I think I probably would have tried to make it a lot more realistic. And I think that probably would have been a big mistake because it's so, so written into the music and the lyrics and the book that I, I don't think that would have worked. Uh, I guess we'll never know. I, I I basically love what they did with it. Um, There were some changes I noticed um, that were not, for the best uh in the i guess it's the second song not the opening number but the the number uh in Sardis where the uh where all these new york broadway types decide to go down to indiana and and you know and insert themselves in this situation in in the show and i i'm on the cast album if you listen the last line in that song is from the Brooks uh James Corden character, and he and he says, "Let's go help that dyke." Mm. Now that was changed for the movie. Let Let's go. Let's go. Start have a, fight. a fight. Let's go start a fight. Yeah, and I understand why um, they changed it, but it it did um, it did kind of lose the punch at the end of that number. Uh, so I, I did notice that, um, and then uh, I guess again for uh, for ratings purposes. Um, there was that really unfortunate change in the punchline for the big Nicole Kidman monologue where she talks about her experience in Chicago Mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, and then this may be a spoiler, so if you don't want to listen, I understand, (laughs) but she says uh, in the show, you know, she tells this story about... um, a a chorus girl in chicago who was the you know who was the third cover in the original production and suddenly had to go on in the role of roxy hart uh and uh and um what happens is well first of all the, the the punchline originally in the show is uh that emma says and that and that girl was you. And, and, uh, she says, uh, how fucking old do you think I am? Tremendous laugh in the theater. Mm-hmm. But, but here the word fucking has been removed. I, again, I guess for ratings purposes. And although I, I don't always like the insertion of a word like that for, for comedy, I think it really did work in this case. And without that word, the line is just not funny. And unfortunately it was a huge letdown, but also did anyone notice that, tr- uh, um, a tremendous error uh, that Nicole Kidman made in the monologue. No, no. Well, she, you know, she said, I, and I played it back because I wanted to make sure I was right. She's talking about uh, what happened, you know, in this original production of Chicago, and she said, um, "And Fosse was putting us through our paces." Well, no, I, I mean, it's it's not supposed to be her she's not supposed to have been oh. there um so i don't know if she said us <gasps> by mistake or if uh, was that always in the- nope
2: original sc- I've, I've got the original script open on my computer right now he's putting her through her paces
4: oh wow all right well then sh- that was a big uh mistake on her part that i think nobody caught um and play it back if you don't believe me because I, I i really <laughs> i, I, checked it. I, I completely checked it because i didn't want to i didn't want to say something incorrect um so that's too bad because that that kind of ruins the whole point of that story um anyway i i overall i i love the prom despite my reservations i i agree about joellen and pelman um, so funny how people can see the same movie uh, you know it, it, you know, and even watch it together and have completely different reactions mm-hmm. when when the movie was over i I was about to turn uh to my friend. Uh, who I was watching it with and say, you know what I really appreciated about her performance is that she wasn't too morose and she wasn't whiny. Uh, and she kept it really up. And she, you know, she really was very reserved in uh, in not showing, uh, not blubbering and not being weepy and whiny. And uh, before I could say that, he, he turned to me and he said, boy, that lead girl was really whiny and weepy, wasn't <laughs> And I said, what? <laughs> I, was, I said, I was just about to say the opposite thing. So, you know, this is uh, this. That's what makes the world go round. Right. Sure. Uh, we all have different reactions. But I, I just thought that was ironic that he had completely the opposite reaction to her performance than I did.
1: All right. And, so. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. I, I
2: realized I left something out that I wanted to jump in on. Uh, there's a. You mentioned uh, the flashbacks uh, to Keegan-Michael Key's scenes about him mm. being in an audience and watching Meryl Streep on stage so that we get to really see why he's such a fan of hers. And, you know, for all the movie's problems, I teared up at that sh- those shots of him sitting in an audience with the lights, you know, reflecting onto his face and mm. it's all illuminated. And God, I miss sitting in a theater. Oh, yeah. that, yeah. I think in any other year, that scene would have just passed right over me. But uh, for anyone who really misses sitting in a theater, it just captures that energy and that excitement so beautifully. I mean, you're right. People have said, you know, the show is a love letter to the theater. And I I, I don't know if I necessarily agree completely with that, but, oh, that scene with him just sitting there. He, um, entranced by the magic, uh, that absolutely was a love letter to the theater. And, uh, for that scene alone, I will go back and rewatch it just to pretend I'm sitting in a theater again.
1: So anything that I would say right now is duplicitous and we're running very, very, very long. So I'm going to skip it. Other than to say (laughs) that, um, other than to say that the the simple tune, I just want to dance with you has, uh, captured so many people who did not see this uh, original stage show and there's st- uh, you know it-, it ran such a short period of time that uh, I-, I think that this uh, production of the prom on netflix is going to do wonders for broadway and wonders for this musical as it gets produced in regions and and schools and colleges and things like that and community theaters around the world I think it's going to be even a bigger hit so uh, as I mentioned we're running very late but we do want to throw in our our gifts uh, gift suggestions uh, so Peter you had some gift suggestions let's see if we can get them out there
3: uh, the Anyone Can Whistle album um, long in the making um, years later than we expected but certainly worth the wait uh, Ironically enough, I was reminded of a production of 110 in the Shade at Equity Library Theatre when I was listening to this. Um, the cast was told, what w- the director said, you are not to listen to the original cast album of 110 in the Shade. I don't want you hearing it. I want you to just do your own interpretation. And at the cast party, we are going to listen to that cast album. And we're going to see how close or far away we were. And if we feel we made right decisions or wrong decisions. And um, that's what they did. And they were astonished at how different it was. Well, I get the impression that the people who are in Anyone Can Whistle on this recording uh, did not ever listen to the original cast album because their interpretations are wildly different and they are terrific. There is much more acting going on in this recording. Um, It's not just singing. Of course, the original cast was fine. Don't misunderstand me. I will admit Harry Guardino doesn't sound good and John Barrowman, Barrowman sounds substantially better. But But the acting that comes through from Maria Friedman and Julia McKenzie is really, really something to hear. It's amazing to hear this score done by different people um, with the same orchestration. So many times, of course, when we have revivals, we have different orchestrations, we have synthesizers, all that kind of business. But to hear what we have been... If you've listened to the cast album and know the cast album, and I can't imagine any Sondheim fan has not, um, you will really be impressed at hearing different voices with the same orchestrations. And it really is magnificent to also hear so much more dance music. I adore dance music. Um, As Ken Bloom says in his wonderful uh, 101 Broadway Musicals book, um, how many of us in dance music um, have been in our apartments when we're alone in our underwear and we just feel the the dance music and we start dancing. You're going to have that experience here, especially in the Miracle Song, which indeed has um, music that almost sounds like it was written by Aaron Copeland. It has that wonderful open feeling to it. And uh, so this is really quite a spectacular recording. Uh, much of the dialogue is there, if you uh, saw that Arthur Lawrence is the narrator, you might feel there 's a lot of narration there is not um, just at the beginning and just at the end. Pretty much the show takes over, and it really is very, very welcome to hear so much more, including the on track um, two on tracks because it was a three act musical so uh, so really, this is a spectacular recording and who would have thought back in one thousand nine hundred and sixty four that the show that ran nine performances would get three recordings over the years. Um, on four discs, if you look at it that way. But three recordings, that's per capita, one, per, uh, one for every three performances. Amazing. Who would have expected it? At that time, people were saying anyone can whistle is ahead of its time and it will be heard from again. But I don't think anybody could have expected that so many years later, 56 years later, that we would be um, 66, whatever it is, um, that we would have so many, um, so many recordings of this one score. So congratulations to John Yap for doing it and doing it proud.
1: 38 tracks on this uh, yeah, yeah. on this CD. So definitely we'll have a link to J records in our show notes and uh, congratulations to John Yap for making this happen and uh, great pictures of Mr. Sondheim at the piano uh, on this uh, on the J records website. So, Michael, what do you have in the gift section?
4: Oh first let me just say quickly I I completely agree about anyone can whistle. Um why it took was it 20 or 25 years since I think the recording? 23 I heard
3: but anyway yeah. your point is well taken.
4: Yeah, but we, 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 we won't get into that. Um but it but it really is quite excellent. Um so I really enjoyed it and and it was a nice uh, little holiday surprise to have that released. Uh two things I'd like to mention um that I just became aware of. So one of them I haven't even had a chance to experience yet is um, there's a a video called David Pevsner musical comedy whore. And this is a show that he did at the Colony Theater in LA. Uh, And now it's in video form. Uh, Many people may know David from uh, when pigs fly. Uh, That was one of his, his big things, but he has a lot of other credits and uh, uh, this is something I'm very much looking forward to to seeing and hearing uh and then the other item i i only got it it downloaded this morning and just got to listen to a couple of tracks but there's a great new album called the rocky horror skivvies show album
1: yeah uh-huh absolutely <laughs> was,
4: and uh... uh it's really i mean just the two or three tracks that i've heard so far are really great this is um, uh lauren molina and nick searley are the skivvies and and they're well known for their shows at 54 below and elsewhere and uh they have a great cast going through the score of rocky horror in um uh some of the some of the arrangements are, are you know familiar and traditional uh then there are some mashup kind of moments in it too but it's an amazing cast and they play brad and janet um but we have travis kent Krista rodriguez uh will swenson doing sweet transvestite nick adams doing the sword of damocles um uh, also on it are allison fraser nathan lee graham christina bianco uh Michael Cerverus, the aforementioned Michael Cerverus, uh, and Alice Ripley, the aforementioned Alice Ripley. Uh, so it all comes around, doesn't it? Uh, it, it's, it sounds like a really, really fantastic album. And uh, I think you want to check that out.
2: All right.
1: Uh, Jenna, anything from you?
2: Uh, I would like to recommend uh, Carrie Purcell's book, History of Feminist Theater, uh, from Afroben to Home. Uh, available on Amazon and a couple other retailers. The book is a, just what it says, it's a fascinating history of theater, but from women's perspective. And it gets into... The Real History of How Women Have Been Contributing to Theater for Hundreds of Years, even if frequently uh, their contributions were minimized and uh, discounted. Uh, It's a fascinating book and definitely worth reading for theater historians, people who are uh, really for people who are interested in the Me Too movement uh, and theater. Uh, It's a great way to learn more about the history and about, you know, how women have always been involved for centuries and that they've been contributing for so, so much time, even if uh, they weren't winning the awards they rightly deserved.
1: I uh, just did an interview with Carrie on Broadway radio. Um, Just the other day. So, yeah. So I'll link to that in the show notes. If you'd like to go back and listen to it, it's, uh, it's, uh, I loved Carrie's book, and it's a really important thing to read to uh, recognize the women's contribution to theater. All right, so let's wrap up. Before we get on to trivia, I'd like to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link that we each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway. It'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. Many ways to listen to us. iHeartRadio Radio Plays us, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts. You'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Jennifer, Michael, and for me can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com as well as links to the things we've talked about today, including all of Norm Lewis's stuff, the link to 54 Below and how to get his show, and um, all the gift selections. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia?
3: What musical the Sondheim worked on was the very first in any way, shape, or form to make a reference to Shakespeare. Uh, notice that last week and this week I paused after saying worked on. That was a very subtle hint that it wasn't necessarily a musical that Sondheim saw produced or even completed. So for this answer, we must go all the way back to the late 40s when Oscar Hammerstein mm-hmm. said to the teenage Sondheim, write four musicals, one should be of a play you admire. When Sondheim was a junior in college, he chose George S. Kaufman's and Mark Connolly's Beggar on Horseback, which he adapted and retitled all that glitters, which is based on all that glisters is not gold, which the Duke of Morocco learns after he opens the gold casket, the wrong casket, in Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice. By the way, many uh, editions of um, *The Merchant of Venice* now actually do say all that glitters is not gold because they feel that Ooh. that's what um, Shakespeare actually wrote, and there was uh, the, the folio was a little tarnished when people got to it. But that's another story. Tony Janicki was the first to get it, followed by Brigadude, but but Mike Meaney. Did us all one better when he pointed out that Allegro, on which Sondheim was a gopher a year or so before college, <laughs> had a character called Shakespeare's student. So he wins. All right. This week's question. Well, given that we talked about Porgy and Bess, uh, excuse again, the Gershwin's Porgy and Bess, <laughs> let's have a question that involves it. The opera was greatly inspired by a person associated with the source material. But one might inadvertently and incorrectly also associate this individual with a Rogers and Hammerstein classic. Who's the person, and why would the mistake be made? Hmm.
1: All right. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Peter Felicia, Janet Sessa-Fox, and Michael Portantier, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Videos This Week on Broadway. Bye. bye bye.
2: What I want is simple as far as wanting goals I just want a day.
0: We were wrong. All it takes is you and me and a song. I don't need a big production, streamers hanging in the air. I don't need to spend the night with confessions.
2: see you um.